Well, good morning. I just want to bring you a word of greeting. The other day, Sue and I actually talked with Stuart and Bronwyn. Yes, they are alive. Yes, they still exist. Yes, they're still in Australia. And yes, they're beginning to head south. So they're heading back this direction and hope to be back here in a couple of weeks. So um, anyway, it was great to see them and uh, great to have a chat with them, get caught up a little bit. And thanks, Aaron. Where did Aaron go? Thanks for that word about uh, what's going on in Greece, because Stuart said, mention that on Sunday if uh, somebody else doesn't. So thanks for bringing that word. Um, and and uh, Stuart was mentioning that, um, I think it was Jonathan especially, he had talked with, and they said they're having great opportunities for ministry uh, in the midst of all the natural disasters, the fires and so on, and um, they're having great opportunity for ministry, but continue to pray for them. And, um, and I would add uh, to that, I don't know if you've kept up with the news, speaking of fires, but uh, in this part of uh, the states where we are from in California, some really severe, severe fires going on there as well. And uh, we know people who are reporting to us, we're okay, but boy, we can see the flames practically uh, from our homes. And so it's, it's pretty, pretty bad. Um, so it's, uh, it's one of those seasons where there's a lot going on and we need to uh, respond as we will see this morning as we look at our passage, respond with compassion and enter into the suffering of those who are, who are truly suffering and uh, to pray for them and pray for God's people in those places to extend um, compassion to those who need that. So we are continuing our study in the book of Mark. So turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Had this little interlude, an interesting interlude with Herod and the death of John the Baptist last week. But really today's passage picks up The previous section uh, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago kind of continues that story. So we'll be looking at that. Mark chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. 
And he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. A remarkable story, to be sure. Let's pray. Father, we um, read a passage like this, and we, we have to admit in our human mind, we find this rather incredible to believe. And we wonder how can such things be when we are confronted with such a tremendous miracle. But we also see the true character of Jesus coming through this and how a miracle flows out of a heart of compassion and an overwhelming sense of love for the people he came to serve. So as we look at this passage, we pray for the ministry of your spirit, who has not only inspired the writing of this story, but who also enables us to receive and understand. Help us to open to your voice, to be touched and to be changed. And ultimately, Father, help us to be more like Jesus as we sit at his feet and learn. Guide us into truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Obviously, as I said, we, we pick up this narrative as the continuation of something that previously has happened, and that is in verses 7 through 13, we see where Jesus has sent out the, the 12 disciples into the, into the towns, the villages around the area. He sent them out to, notice in verse 7, he sent them out two by two to to have authority over the unclean spirits. And then in verse 12, to proclaim that people should re repent, to proclaim the truth of the kingdom, because that is, that is Jesus' message that he is giving at any time he speaks. He is preaching about the kingdom. And they cast out many demons and anointed many who were sick and healed them. So basically, they have a threefold ministry. They are, they are going out to preach about the kingdom, to heal the sick, and to cast demons out of, out of the people that they, that they encounter who are, who are oppressed and, and, 
and filled with with these kinds of these kinds of spirits and so the the disciples have gone out and they have fulfilled their ministry they have done exactly as Jesus asked them and so now they are here in verse 30 returning to Jesus and they are recounting to him everything that they have experienced as they have gone out and, and, and had this, this time of ministry. And interestingly, it appears, we don't know exactly what Jesus is doing at this time, but it appears that he has not been with them, but they have been out doing this, and Jesus has been on his own. And so as they return, they are, they are telling the stories as we would expect, a very common thing for people to return from a, a ministry trip like this and to simply begin to recount, well, this is what happened. Here were the things that we experienced. Here are the, 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 the stories that come out of, of this particular time. And so we, we enter into this passage that we just read, and and really, the passage, this narrative, breaks very neatly into four movements, as I would call it, throughout this story. And each of those movements is summarized by a single word that, that describes what is going on in, in each of these movements. The, the passage begins with an invitation from Jesus as they are they are recounting their stories, and Jesus says to them in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. And that is Jesus' invitation to them, and really the first word that, that I want to focus on here is this word of rest. He says, come into a desolate place, a lonely place, come away from everything else. Let's get away just, just us as a group together. Let's pull away from the demands. Let's pull away from people and let's, let's rest. It's such a familiar theme throughout all the scriptures, and we see this common theme again and again and again. We've already seen it a number of times in these opening chapters of Mark, how Jesus is pulling away from the people for a time of rest, and he's encouraging his disciples and to do the same thing. This is a common theme in the life of Jesus. He understands this, this balance of, yes, ministering to people and entering fully into their experience and their life and, and touching them, but he also understands the importance of pulling away at times for a time of rest, and that's exactly what he does here with the disciples. He's instructing them after this intense season of ministry we need some time alone. We need some time together. And it is, it is such an important theme, not only here in the life of Jesus, but we, we see all through the scriptures that, that God often leads people into these wilderness places, into desolate places, to be alone with him in, in times of solitude, time to restore and to, to deepen this intimacy with, 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 with God. 
And no doubt Jesus sees these, these 12 men as they return, and he, he hears in their voice and in these stories the, the words of excitement. And I would like to say, too, from years of ministry, he probably also hears the words of frustration because ministry has both of those things going on. He has already warned them here in, in his previous instructions, there are going to be some people who do not listen to what you have to say. They will not respond. Ministry is full of exciting stories, yes, but it is also filled with disappointing stories. As much as we present the truth of the gospel and as much as we want to help people, I cannot, I cannot change another person's heart. And so no doubt they are telling both sides of these stories. The excitement, yes, this is what we did. This is what we experienced. But there's also the frustration. Jesus, we, we wish we could have done more. We wish that more people had repented. We wish more people had responded, but, but they didn't. And so Jesus hears all of that. And he says, okay, let's, let's come away. Let's, let's talk about all these things. He no doubt hears the excitement, but he also hears the weariness. And one of the common themes that we see here in Mark is this unrelenting nature of ministry, isn't it? It never ends. In fact, he says in verse 31 that there, many were coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. They didn't even have time to, to take care of some of their most basic needs. They, they didn't even have time to eat. And this is how unrelenting their, their ministry is. And so, so Jesus says, let's get away from the crowds. Let's, let's go and spend some time together. Let's go off to a, a desolate place. Let's go off to a, a wilderness place. Let's, let's just get away. I, I cannot emphasize enough this the importance of this simple invitation that Jesus gives his disciples here. And I wish every single one of us would take this invitation seriously. I often will tell people in ministry, and I would extend that really to every single believer, it's not just for people in ministry, that the first priority of every follower of Jesus, and if you write down anything this morning, write this down, the first priority of every follower of Jesus is the nurture of your own soul. The first priority of every follower of Jesus is to care for and to nurture and to pay attention to your own soul. And we see that here in, with Jesus and his disciples. Time alone with Jesus should never be seen as a luxury. It, it really ought to be regarded as a priority because that's where life comes from. I have no ministry to give to you unless I sit quietly with Jesus in these, these times alone with him. That's where any ministry I have comes. Ministry is the overflow of what Jesus is doing in my life right now. And then I have actually something to give other people. 
even to the point of getting away from the crowds and the pressing needs and the demands of people, I can find a thousand excuses for giving up this time of solitude. And every single one of those excuses simply squeezes more life out of my soul. So often we see the wilderness here, this desolate place that Jesus is describing. We see the wilderness as a, as a lonely place, a scary place, a, a place of death. We even have a place in California that we call Death Valley, out there in the middle of the desert. It's, it doesn't get much more wilderness than Death Valley. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. But more often than not, those wilderness experiences in Scripture are seasons of refining and purifying. They are intense times of intimacy with God. I remember so well one of those, one of those seasons in my own ministry when, when God led me into a spiritual wilderness. And many of you know exactly what that feels like to be in that place which some describe as the dark night of the soul a place when you really wonder, is God with me in this place? Is, is God, does, does he hear my prayers? What, what is happening? You feel a sense of aloneness, wondering, what is this all about? And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dark and difficult place that many, many people have experienced. And interestingly, at the end of that season, God led Sue and me to a place of ministry not just in a figurative desert, but in a literal desert, where I was called, very similar to this situation, to be an interim pastor of a church in the middle of the desert. And so we, we responded and said, yes, we sensed God was calling us. And it was an interesting experience as we were driving to this place about seven hours from our home in Los Angeles. We were driving to this place, and I said to Sue, great, now God has brought us to a literal desert where he can just finish us off completely. And that's how it felt. But you know, those two months in the desert, one of the most transforming experiences of our life. We didn't know anybody out there. We just went answering a call and said yes. But that time of wilderness became one of the greatest seasons of blessing that we have ever experienced in our walk with Jesus. He spoke to us in a way that we had never experienced before. And he grew us and nurtured us in a way that we could not have experienced any other way than following him into the desert, into the wilderness, and spending those two months with him. So Jesus says to these disciples, come away with me to a desolate place. Come and rest. Come and restore. Come where, where you can listen, undistracted, to my voice. You can hear me. And as John likes to say in, 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 in his letter, 1 John, where you can hear and touch and feel the presence of God. 
where you can be restored, come. Let's just spend some time alone. And so they go out, but we notice here again, the crowds just keep following them. The crowds just go wherever they see them. They, 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 they find wherever Jesus and the disciples are, and they go, they follow them. And so Jesus looks at the crowd, and this is the second movement in our story here. Verse 34, he looks at the crowd and he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. And that's the second movement. The second word is this word of compassion. We find in the, in the Gospels that there are two things that motivate Jesus in his ministry. Two things that drive him that are constantly before him in his ministry. He says in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That is the first thing that motivates Jesus in his ministry, is to do the will of the Father. He says in, in John chapter 6, verse 38, something very, very similar. He says, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that is a lot of what, what, what motivates Jesus in his ministry is I, I came to do the will of my father, the will of him who sent me, not to do what I want. I, I lay my own desires aside for the purpose of fulfilling what God has for me. And that's the first thing, really, that motivates and drives Jesus as he, as he is in these times of ministry. He says, I only want to do the will of my Father who sent me. But the second thing that we find that motivates Jesus in his ministry is, is right here. This isn't the only place where we see that Jesus looks at people and has compassion on them. It, it, it is this this deep compassion for the people that he sees before them. He looks at these people and he is deeply, deeply moved with pity for these people. Matthew tells us, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that as Jesus looks at the crowd, he tells us that these people are helpless and they are harassed like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks at these people, he sees in them a sense of despair and a sense of hopelessness. And Jesus shows us what it means not only to look at people with physical eyes and to see, yes, I can, I can see what you look like. I can see that you have blonde hair and blue eyes or whatever. He doesn't just look with physical eyes. No, Jesus begins to demonstrate for us what it means to look at people with the Father heart of God and to see not just with physical eyes, but to dare to see people the way God sees them with the eyes of his heart. He not only observes them in their distress, but he 
feels their distress with them. It's an interesting study in Scripture to see how Jesus, not only Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, actually feels what we are going through. Love those those verses out of Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 5 that just talk about Jesus feeling with people, understanding what that's like, and the Holy Spirit who groans with us in prayer. That is a feeling entering into these, these experiences. He feels their lostness. He feels their loneliness. He feels the despair. He feels the longing along with them. This term translated compassion here in this, in the New Testament, literally, it's a great, it's a great Greek word, splonknod. Doesn't that just sound so descriptive? It literally refers to the bowels, the that feeling in your gut that you sometimes get. It's, it's that gut-wrenching experience. When you, when you see certain things, when you, when you look at a, a, a picture. My wife is one of those who just who sees these images. You know, we were just talking about this this morning as we were driving here. And these images that, that we can't get out of your mind when you, you see them in the news. And we've had so many of those in recent years, haven't we, of children especially, victims of war, victims of, of man's inhumanity to man. And you see these pictures, and if you can't feel something in your gut, I wonder, are you even human? You feel those things. And, and some of those things, and I remember we were talking about this when we were children and the Vietnam War was going on, we still remember some of those images of people who are victims of war. And you don't think it in your head, you feel it in your gut. Well, that's what this, this word is. It's exactly what that is. I feel this in, in my gut. I look at that and it makes me sick physically. I feel this. And well, that's this word compassion. It, it's a depth of feeling. It's a, it's a gut-wrenching experience. How often do we dare to look at another person and enter into their experience and dare to feel the pain that they are feeling right along with them? I have observed, and maybe you have observed the same thing, that compassion in our world is in such short supply, isn't it? So many people today live in such hopelessness, like these people who are helpless and harassed, and, and yet this expression of compassion brings with it such, such hope when you actually sit with a person and listen to their story and enter into that story, suddenly there's this, this, this feeling, this experience, maybe things could be different. Somebody actually cares about me. Somebody is actually listening to me. Somebody is actually sitting with me in this. I may not have the right answer or the right words, but the fact that I'm sitting with another person is often the most effective ministry 
that we can have in the life of another person. Not to give them all the right answers, but to simply say, you know what, I'm sitting with you in this. I'm just sitting with you in this. That is, that's compassion. And we notice here that compassion moves Jesus into action. You know, compassion is virtually useless unless we actually act on it, unless we actually do something with it. What good is it to feel another person's pain and then simply walk on by? Well, isn't that what the point of the Good Samaritan is all about? People who saw this person wounded, hurting, bleeding, and they actually cross over to the other side. I I can't be bothered with that. I have something more important to get to. In every occasion when Jesus is reported to have compassion, it always moves him to some kind of action, some kind of ministry. And and that takes us into the third movement of of this narrative. Jesus provides food from God's resources, not human resources. First, we see that Jesus began to teach them many things. He sees that their souls are empty, that here are people who need to be encouraged. They need to be fed. They need to to understand what truth is, and so Jesus nurtures their souls And how often do we see in the ministry of Jesus where he really ministers to the whole person? We so often separate people into into the physical part, the spiritual part. Well, which is more important, to feed the body or the soul? But what we see here in Jesus is both parts need to be taken care of that we need, to, we need to minister to the whole person. And so Jesus heals the body and the soul. He cares for people physically and emotionally, relationally and spiritually. He is deeply concerned about us as complete persons, complete people. And so first he nurtures the soul. He gives them a sense of hope and his pity for them overflows in love which becomes so obvious and so evident, and it brings a depth of hope that these people probably have never experienced before. This is one of the most profound, I think, of all human needs, the need for hope in the midst of a world of despair. I meet people all the time who simply have no sense of hope, Will things ever be different? And that begins with the realization that someone cares for me, that I matter, that I have value, that I have a purpose. And so Jesus teaches them about the kingdom where there is this ultimate expression and fulfillment of hope. And then he says to the disciples, notice this in verse 37, He says to them, you give them something to eat. I think Jesus has something much deeper here to teach the disciples. His his actions and his instructions are are the direct response. Notice this, 
Jesus has this, this experience of compassion for these people, and everything he does flows out of these feelings of compassion, this experience of compassion. And so Jesus, I think, wants the disciples to learn this compassion as well, the same thing that he is feeling. I think we will miss the point of the miracle if we lose sight of that connection between Jesus' feelings of compassion and the actions that flow out of that. Certainly, he will teach them to rely on the resources of God to fulfill their ministry. But what he is really saying to the disciples is, I want you to experience and to express compassion for these people as I am feeling compassion for these people. Have you ever thought even just about the meaning of the term compassion, our English term? Literally, the word means to suffer with another person. To suffer with them. And this is what Jesus, I think, is trying to teach the disciples. The disciples' response shows us that the ways of compassion must be learned. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to us as humans. We have to learn this. It is, it is an expression of the Father heart of God. It is an, ex, an expression of, of the ministry and the life of Jesus. And these 12 cannot engage in a ministry of, com, of compassion as long as it is grounded in the shallow soil of their own spiritual strength. It has to be deeply rooted in God's own compassion for his world. Interestingly, as I said earlier, Hebrews 4 and 5 talk about this, this mediating role of Jesus. And what is so pronounced in there for me is how Jesus' experience and in entering into our life comes out of his own experience as a human. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered and because he suffered those things, he is able to enter into our experience of suffering and pain and whatever we go through, Jesus knows what it feels like. And here he is calling these disciples into that same experience. I want you to feel with these people this helplessness, this hopelessness, this, this harassment that they're experiencing. You give them something to eat. They're hungry. Not only that, Jesus would demonstrate to his disciples that just as God teaches us the ways of compassion, he provides the means of expressing that compassion. All of, this, all of a sudden, the disciples here are out of their depth once again, it's an interesting thing when we look back at verse 8. When Jesus sends the disciples out on their mission, he says to them, do not take any food with you. Don't take any food, don't take any money, don't take a change of clothes. And obviously what he is, what he is trying to help them understand is, I am going to provide everything you need to fulfill the ministry before you. I'm going to give you everything you need. Well, now all of a sudden, he's taking that a step further. 
not only would he provide for them, but he would provide for others through them. Jesus pushes them out into a deeper place of ministry and life where their understanding of the kingdom would be expanded. It would grow much greater than anything that they had experienced. Jesus is always pushing us out into the depths, isn't he? How often that place is uncomfortable for us. We, we want to get to this place where everything is fine. Let's just leave it as it is, just like this. Everything's fine. Everything's going so well in this ministry, in my life. Why do we want to change anything here? Now, Jesus says, okay, great success in your ministry. Let's, let's take it another step now. Let's go even further. There's a tremendous risk here to perform a miracle right in front of all of these thousands of people almost literally make food appear out of nothing. Or at least out of very, very little. And this is where we discover the power of the kingdom is more than adequate even when our human resources are utterly, utterly depleted or so very inadequate. See, like us, the disciples cannot get past the problem that is right there before them. And so many people, there's, there's so many people and there's so little food. There are so many needs and yet we have so few resources. And how often are we completely paralyzed by the problem before us? And we spend all of our time seeking human solutions. Well, let's just go take a poll of the crowd. How much food do we have here? Do we have enough that we can share it among us? Jesus redirects their focus. Had they learned nothing from their ministry? Have we learned nothing from our ministry? He didn't look to the people. He didn't look to the, to the fishes. He doesn't look to the loaves. He, he looks to his heavenly father. Our tendency is so much the same. We, we look at the need and we look at our resources that we have on hand. And Jesus is Jesus looks at the Father and he says, who is able to take what, what they have and to multiply that not only to meet the need, but to give in overflowing abundance, which leads us into the fourth movement of the, of the story. They gather all the, the scraps together, the super abundance of God. Verse 42, I love this. They all ate and were satisfied, content. They were happy. They were satisfied. They, they had everything that they needed. They, and they gathered up all the scraps and they have, notice that, 12 baskets full of broken pieces, 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple. I like to picture each of those disciples standing there with their basket, 
looking at that basket and ref- reflecting on God's super abundant provision, he doesn't just give what they need. He, he even provides leftovers so they can take it with them on their journey. I know what you need. Your heavenly father knows what you need. And he gives us. Remember how I provided for you during your time of ministry? Even beyond your human capacity? Over my years of ministry, 35 years now, I have seen God do that again and again and again. And sometimes I stand back and I have no explanation. Where did that come from? How did he, how did he provide for that? Where did the extra come from when we needed it? I sometimes think back to a season in my own ministry when I was pastoring a church and I have only had maybe one, really, I guess this is the only season of my life when I experienced a season of depression. Woke up one morning and I began to realize that I, there was something going on in my soul. And, and um, like many of you have experienced, I'm sure, because it's a common experience, I just realized I had no motivation to get out of bed. A, see, a feeling of sadness had come over me, and I, I couldn't shake it. And it's not like me to, to, to be that way. I'm normally a very optimistic, very upbeat person, very productive. But suddenly I realized that I had entered into this, this time of depression and, and actually sought medical advice from a, a doctor friend and, and then a counselor, both of whom, whom agreed, yeah, you are experiencing depression not a deep, paralyzing depression as many people have experienced, but yeah, a season of depression. And I found that I, some days I, I could just barely function. Most days I could get through the day and I was doing okay. I felt sad, unmotivated, so on. Not completely incapacitating, but enough to, to cripple me for a time. And and as I look back on those months, didn't last a full year, probably nine months or so. And I look back at those months and I think to myself, how did I continue to pastor a church and continue to minister to people and continue to write sermons and to preach? And, and I am often astounded at the way God used me during that season, even in that season of brokenness, to to preach to people, to care for people, to lead a church that continued to grow and to flourish and to thrive. It was for me a demonstration, as we see here, of God's super abundant provision, not not for physical needs so much, but those emotional and spiritual needs those resources that I simply didn't have in myself. It wasn't there. And and I, I look back at that season, and I honestly look at 12 baskets full of provision that God poured into me and 
through me to the lives of other people. Utterly incapable of doing that myself. But the miraculous provision of God. And through that, that season of brokenness, he taught me something of compassion for people who experience depression, mental illness, whatever emotional difficulties, which I couldn't have learned any other way. I had to feel. What does it feel like to be depressed? I've never had that experience again. But when somebody comes to me and says, I'm feeling depressed, I can say, yeah, I know what that's like. It's paralyzing sometimes. And in that, God still provides for me and through me to other people. I think in this story, yeah, the ministry, the, the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish is remarkable. But I think we miss the point if we get away from the heart of compassion that flows from Jesus. And he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. You enter into their suffering, enter into their pain, enter into their helplessness, their hopelessness. Let's care for their soul. Let's care for the body. Feel with them and trust me for the provision. I will give you everything you need. Let's pray. I have no doubt in a in a group of people this size, that there are people sitting here who feel like these in the story, helpless, harassed, hopeless, depressed. Longing for that compassionate touch of Jesus through another person. the end of this service, we will have people up in the front who can pray with you and who can sit with you in that. Let us know how we can serve you, how we can care for you, how we can minister to you. And maybe as you sit here listening, there is a person, there are people that God says, I want you to enter into their suffering. Feel what they are feeling. so that you can care for them, love them, nurture them. Father, I thank you for this glimpse into this really soft heart of Jesus that moves him not just to feel pity, 
but to truly care. It moves him to action. Help us, Father, first of all, to take on that heart, to teach us what it means to be people of compassion, and then show us what that looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, to enter into another person's world and feel with them. Help us to truly demonstrate this compassionate heart of Jesus in a world that is growing increasingly hard. Help us for Jesus' sake. Amen.